Wives, submit, to your hus- submit yourself unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ, who loved the church, and also loved the church, and gave himself for it, uh, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it would be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and, the two, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Please stand for the reading of the Gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the Gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Christ. Raise your hands with me. Now come, Holy Spirit, and fill our hearts to be attentive to your word that you speak to each one of us. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of marriage as we talk about some of that this morning. Let us hear exactly what you have to say to each one of us. To repent, to forgive, to grow in love, and to grow in joy. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. 
My name is Philip Jones and uh, uh, senior pastor of All Saints Dallas and uh, Bishop, which is why I'm here this morning for confirmation. But I told Mark this morning, why don't we talk a little bit about marriage? And uh, so obviously you have the passage read to you from, uh, from Ephesians 5, and we're not going to get into every bit of that. And just know that what I have to say is a compilation of, well, 46 and a half years of it, <laughs> of marriage, but also just uh, listening to people like Tim Keller and Scott Hahn and Robert Barron, and there's all kinds of different people. I know all of us probably have people we look to when we're thinking and talking about marriage itself. Uh, but I just have a few things I want to say about it. And at the end of the talk, uh, we're going to have a chance then to, for these marriages to be blessed. And if you're single or single again, uh, it really has some of the same effect for you as well, as we'll talk about in a few moments. Scott Hahn says that if we could get marriage right, uh, that we could change the whole culture in one generation. If we really establish the understanding of marriage between a man and a woman, one that remained faithful, one that remained constant, one that remained married as much as possible, all kinds of things can happen. Uh, the way that I kind of look at marriage is something that's really sanctifying. It's something that kind of grows uh, us up as people, as individuals. I oftentimes say, you know, if these two could just get married, they could really grow up uh, because you just kind of have to. And if you really want to grow up, start having a bunch of kids. But the point of it is, you know what I'm saying? There's just kind of this power um, uh, of marriage. And I believe it begins with friendship. And I think the culture's got, of course, as the culture often does, all wrong. <laughs> the culture says, you know, you look, need to look for someone that's attractive and someone that's sexy maybe or whatever, or has a lot of money or is going to make a lot of money or something. And, uh, and then uh, that's the way that we look at it. And it's kind of like a romance, maybe garnished with friendship. I would say exactly the opposite is true. That what you will look for is something is friendship uh, that's garnished with romance. Because let's be honest, you know, as you're married and you stay married and you kind of grow together and you're married, uh, the looks, they're going to change. And pretty much at the end, everybody looks the same. And so, the, the, I mean, really, the point of it is, uh, we, we look at the things of like friendship, you know, someone that has balance, someone that has courage, someone that has joy. Someone that has love. As different as we all are when we come together. And we never know all the things about each other uh, before we come together, or even as we come together in marriage. And it takes kind of years uh, to work that out in all kinds of ways. There's a horizon. There's open windows really in a marriage. It's going somewhere. You're going somewhere. And that's why I say that marriage, so many people put all this pressure on marriage to be the ultimate. It's not the ultimate. It's the penultimate. Or even in the single life. It's not the ultimate, it's the penultimate. The ultimate is your relationship with God through Jesus Christ by the power and the witness of the Holy Spirit. Now that can be done in all kinds of ways. But marriage, when you look at Scripture, is something invented by God. The church is invented by God. Even the state, in a way, is invented by God. There's lots of things that aren't invented by God, but marriage certainly is as a way for us to understand what it means that we can grow in that intimacy with God with other people. And as we do that, we get a taste of it. But it has as it's the ultimate, that relationship with God. That's why the scripture says, in heaven there'll be no marriage. I don't know how that works out. I still want to be with Claudia in heaven forever and ever and ever. But what's greater is that intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's something we can have now, single or married, or even single again. 
It's something we can focus in on. But God gave us marriage after creation as a way to understand this is what it looks like to find me and to know me in these kinds of ways. And many of you have been married many, many years, maybe some longer than us. But the point of it is, uh, there's something about marriage that has this kind of vortex. Let me explain it this way. If, if, uh, if everything in life, in business, in relationships, isn't going real well, but your marriage is, you walk out in strength. You walk out in hope. You walk out in, in, in uh, uh, just a great joy. But if everything in life, the jobs, relationships is going great, but your marriage isn't, then you tend to walk out in weakness, maybe even fear, maybe even despair. It has that kind of power in our life. And the Lord gives us then this understanding all through Scripture, all through our life, all through the power and the witness of the Holy Spirit in our life. So again, that's why I say that marriage isn't the ultimate. It's really the penultimate. And it should be about friendship garnished with romance rather than romance maybe garnished with a bit of friendship. Does that make sense? There's a difference there. So if you're married here this morning, you want to look at as a way of understanding as you go forward this idea of friendship. We don't find good marriages. We make good marriages. And I say this in all humility. Because I still have a long way to go and a long way to grow, as, as do we all in all kinds of ways. But making a good marriage is something we're called to do as opposed to finding the right soulmate. The culture would tell you we just have to find the right soulmate. But in practicality, there's two people that come together and neither one already are right for each other altogether. We don't know exactly what this is. But if we're looking for it as a soulmate, then we're going to put all this kind of pressure on it that they're not able to withstand, nor should they. That's why in most wedding sermons, I have five real quick points. I'm not going to make them for you right now. But the first one is put God first. You see, my spouse isn't there to carry all of my burdens. I'm not there to carry all of her burdens. But God is. There are certain burdens I carry, to be sure. There are certain burdens she carries. But if we put all that burdens on, on our spouse, then that's just too big a weight. We put God first. As you do that, and of course you would understand this, as you do that, then you recognize, Lord, you're the one that can heal me. Yeah, you can heal me through my spouse at times, and, and I can see things about myself uh, from my spouse at times, but, but um, it, it's that relationship with God through Christ. That's where we put our energy, and that's where we're going to grow in this kind of way. The world says, live together. The world says, try each other out for a while. The world says, don't, don't get married in a covenant. Don't get married necessarily in, in some, something that, uh, that's a promise and a covenant that's faithful and monogamous and all that kind of thing. Just kind of try it out. Nothing could be further from the truth given to us in Scripture. And you and I know that. And it's very destroying and very damaging when people just live together without that sense of commitment and that sense of covenant. Because, you know, we're going to keep our economics to ourselves. We're going to keep our finances to ourselves. We're going to keep certain things to ourselves. Rather than opening up and saying, no, what is yours is mine. What is mine is yours. In a marriage commitment and covenant that God gives us through Jesus Christ. And so living together is not the answer. The question is, do we want to grow in holiness? Marriage does that for us. As do other relationships, to be sure. 
but certainly marriage, because, you know, here, here's the deal. And growing into one flesh, talks about that. Paul talks about it in Ephesians chapter 5. That, that idea of one flesh, there's three ways it happens. All right? One way is this. When we grow in one flesh, we have the right, now listen closely, to speak into the other person's life, and they have the right to speak into our life. In fact, Paul uses this metaphor of washing your body. Well, what do you do when you take care of your body? Well, I mean, you know, you wash it, and you, you trim it, and you, uh, you know, lose some of it, and, or gain some of it, whatever you got to do. And the point of it is, you know, you take really good care of it. In a marriage, you're allowing a spouse to do that. Metaphorically, you're allowing a spouse to cut your fingernails. You're allowing a spouse to brush your teeth. You're allowing a spouse to trim nasal hair. <laughs> I mean, think about it. That's how intimate marriage is called to be. Because you're with each other in this kind of way. This is the image that Paul uses. It's that kind of care. Why? Because remember, there's a horizon. You are preparing your spouse and yourself for eternity to present holy and blameless. That's what Paul says. That's the ultimate goal of marriage is to present your spouse holy and blameless to God at the end of our life. It kind of gives a whole different understanding of what marriage can be. Now, I realize no marriage is perfect. I get all that. But the point of it is that's a goal, a horizon with open windows to see something beyond just yourself. To see how God calls you to present your spouse holy unto him. You know, if you live by yourself, you can be indecisive. If you live by yourself, you can be moody. If you live by yourself, you can have a critical spirit. If you live by yourself, you can be impatient and no one really will ever know. But in marriage, yeah, they know. <laughs> and we understand then that self-centeredness Self-pity, self-absorption, those are the great enemies of marriage because you can't hide in marriage. You're not supposed to hide in marriage. And it's hard work. And it takes all kinds of humility. And so I stand before you as one who's been humbled over and over and over again. And I need even more of that. In marriage, you can't deny you can't hide. That spouse knows those kind of areas in our life that are so easy to hide behind. In a marriage, though, you're called to clean each other, to present each other holy as unto the Lord. So that's why I see marriage really as a sanctifying work, a sanctifying work of God through my spouse, through your spouse, however you work it out with each other in such a way then that we grow in that holiness. You see, the good news is this. If a spouse is living in a gospel kind of way, then we can be open and honest about everything in our life to him or to her over time. There's a certain vulnerability that can take place. Why? Because here's what the gospel says. The gospel says you're worse off than you ever thought. You may think that about your spouse. <laughs> you may think that about yourself. But you are more loved than you could ever dare hope. That's the gospel. That's what we can live in our lives. And when each spouse is living without gospel, then it creates that environment 
to where you can be open, to where you can be vulnerable, to where you do want to grow in holiness. Well, so then the first area then of growing in, in, in one flesh together is recognizing that. Here's the second area of growing in one flesh. Now, this is another powerful image uh, that we're, uh, well, Tim Keller kind of shared this image, and I heard this, and I just really like it. There's so much power that each has over the other in marriage. Now, what do I mean by over the other? I don't mean in a commanding way or demanding way or an oppressive way. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the opportunity that each spouse has to other to recreate their spouse because the world will tell their spouse so many things about them growing up even at an early age in the family and family of origin then on through education and on through jobs and business and with the culture around it's going to say so many things that could be very detrimental to a person's identity and so a spouse has the opportunity to re help recreate their spouse one way or the other by honoring and affirming and encouraging. The world may tell one spouse, you can't make it. You're not worth it. You're really a lousy person. Or you're not big enough, strong enough, rich enough, whatever it may be. And yet, if the spouse says to that person, I love you. You're great in God's eyes. I have chosen you. I'm in a commitment with you forever. It can change the whole worldview of someone. And they can walk out with strength. And they can walk out with love. And they can walk out with joy. On the other hand, the world, the world may say, well, you know, you're, you're really something else. You're just great and all that. And then the spouse says, well, you're really not. <laughs> Some of that may be true, by the way. But, but the point of it is, you don't want to major on that. Because there's that kind of power a spouse has with each other with the words of affirmation or encouragement or non-affirmation, non-encouragement that they may use with their spouse. You see, there's that kind of power in it. At least that's been my experience and probably your experience as well if you've been married for any number of years. Because there's something then that, that uh, well, you get married and you have your first argument, let's say, within a year or a week or whatever. And the point of it is then you're so used to kind of... Um, shooting at other people like you did with your brothers or your sisters or maybe friends or people that you know and, and, and that's the only way that you know to respond to people and it really hurts your spouse because you're not recognizing the words you're using has such a powerful effect because there's no one like your spouse that you're going to be living with and sharing all of life with, sharing a bed with. And so we'll be really careful that we can point to the recreation that we can do with our spouse or with our fiancé or whatever it may be, they can affirm and encourage. Yes, there's a time to call people to account, of course, but do it gently. But do it in a way that's, that can be encouraging and affirming. And you learn this. It's not easy. It's not overnight. You don't just take a test or hear one talk about it and go out and do it. You know, it's something that we work at over and over and over again in all humility, with all due respect. That's why I stand before you this morning, honestly, in humility, there's a lot I still have to learn and grow. There's a lot that, that we still have to learn and grow. So I stand before you in thanksgiving and joy through 46 and a half years that, that have been you know, just incredible in lots of ways. And there's been lots of hard and very difficult times as well. But we can speak those words to each other that encourage and lift up. That no matter what the world says, wow, both of you can walk out in strength and power. And then there's a final kind of way that we can become one flesh. 
Again, just to kind of go back. One fact, I can clean, we clean each other. That's the image he uses. Number two, the words that we use, how we use those words for each other. And the third way is to recognize that we're not independent. We are interdependent with each other. And you, you know that. I mean, in other words, we can't just go off and live my life and you go off and live your life and expect to have a one flesh marriage. It just doesn't work that way. And so there's kind of a, a consensus type of building. Doesn't mean you can't play golf. It doesn't mean you can't do other things or whatever it is that you want to do. But the point of it is there's a coming together. So I remember uh, we were in Waco, Texas at the time. I was a lawyer at the time. Uh, and uh, as we were thinking through, was God calling me into full-time ministry? And of course, Claudia as well in the family. We had three kids at the time. And, and I remember kind of going through that process. And, and uh, as I came home one day, and she said, you know, I really think God is calling us to do it. To go ahead and, and, and to make this commitment to go in, into ordained ministry. Now, we talked about it maybe nine months before, but it just kind of got sidelined. That was fine with me. I could be a lawyer the rest of my life. I loved what I was doing. But it's a decision that I never would have made, obviously, without 100% commitment from Claudia. Because we had three kids at the time. It was going to be a burden on her in lots of ways. And as I told her, you know, we're going to ruin our weekends for the rest of our life. I mean, I just don't have Saturday night I can just play. So the point of it is, there's an interdependence. And there's been other issues besides just that. I mean, that's a big one, of course. But there's other issues as well that we, that we learn to be interdependent with each other, raising kids or being with each other's family or whatever it may be. And so, but again, I'm talking about what does that one flesh look like? It's not perfect. It's not easy. It's oftentimes misunderstood. And the culture's not going to affirm any of the stuff that I'm saying to you this morning. I mean, it doesn't even affirm marriage between a man and a woman anymore. So everything I'm saying, I realize, is very countercultural. One time I did a wedding. Well, I've done lots of weddings. And so uh, and I just kind of mentioned, you know, it's marriage between a man and a woman. And, of course, a lot of young people were there. And they were just aghast that I would say that. And so I know that we live in kind of a different culture right now. But it's something that as we grow into that one flesh, I know that many of you here this morning, you could articulate this much better than I am. You give examples about that one flesh experience in your own life. But that's what we're called to do um, as we're preparing each other for that eternity, for that eternal home seeing that our life isn't just in a closed room, but there's windows to a horizon that you and I are called to bring people into, to bring each other into. And so that's why, this is a few little thoughts about, uh, about marriage and the gift of marriage, and there's so many things out there that you can read and study, but it really just has to do with prayer, penance, confession, honesty, and then out of that comes a joy and a love and a respect for each other. So here's what I want, how I want to close our time this morning. Uh, I'm going to ask uh, in a moment uh, for those who are married uh, to stand where you are, and then we're going to do the anniversary prayer that we normally do during announcements. And every Sunday you do it here. Every Sunday we do it at All Saints. We have the birthday prayers and the anniversary prayers. And so uh, hopefully you can put it up on the screen here in a second. But uh, you're going to stand where you are, and then I want you to kind of hold each other's hands, look into each other's eyes lovingly, uh, if you can do that. And then, uh, and then we're going to say the anniversary prayer as a way to bless all marriages that are here this morning. But I want to uh, close this with this word. Those of you who are single or single again for whatever reason, um, 
None of this takes away from what you can be and what you can do in growing in the, in the intimacy with Christ. So I'm going to ask you to stand as well and just kind of put your hand, if there's a married couple around you that are looking at each other lovingly and, and all that, I'm going to ask that you put your hand on them as well because you can really bless them in that kind of way. That makes sense? Okay, so first of all, if you're married, please stand. Claudia is standing, but I can't be there, so. Okay, so a turn, turn towards each other. Now, does anybody have an anniversary this week? Particularly, okay, that's fine. All right, now, if you're not married, but you're around someone who is married, then I want you to put your hand on one of the two spouses, and, uh, and then we're going to say the anniversary prayer together. So, does that make sense? All right, together, let's say. Oh, God, you have so blessed the covenant of marriage that in it is represented the spiritual unity between Christ and his church. Send your blessing upon these, your servants, that their lives together may continue to reflect your love and forgiveness and that their home will be a haven of blessing and peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You may now kiss your spouse. Congratulations.